You're listening to KCBP Community Radio at 95.5 FM and streaming at kcbpradio.org. This is Women of the Valley, where we examine the issues, stories, organizations, and people important to women in our community. We're your hosts, Laura Stokes. And I'm Linda Scheller. We're here today to interview for KCBP Women of the Valley, Jane Manley and Amanda Hughes with the Stanislaw County Commission for Women. Thank you for being here with us today. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. Please tell us about the history of the Stanislaw County Commission for Women, when and how it was founded, any organizations on which it was based, and who was instrumental in its establishment. I'll start with that question. We're so lucky to have a trove of historical documents from the women who started our commission back in the 70s. And there was a whole feminist wave in the 1970s where commissions were established all over the country. And uh, we have a state commission, as a matter of fact. We'll talk about that a little later. And some are, are attached to county governments and some are not. And we are not. So these the women who established our group were um, among some names you still hear in Modesto, Susan Azevedo, Azevedo excuse me, Virginia Brooke, uh, Phyllis Babcock were some, and they uh, specifically decided to be independent of the County Board of Supervisors so that they could have their political freedom. So in 1979, they established themselves, and in 1980, they held the very first uh, recognition for outstanding women in our county with a uh, awards reception, which has grown to a dinner, and now it's a brunch. Very good. How has the organization changed over the years? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I was talking to Jane before. I've this is my over ten years that I've been on the commission. And when I first started, there was a lot of teachers on the commission. And I think there was an era where there was a lot of women that worked in reproductive health. And I think you see, you know, seasons of different folks in different professions. And that's what I love about the commission is that we really do reflect a broad geographic base of women, different sectors, and it really does bring really interesting experience to the commission. Obviously, the issues haven't changed. You know, our historical documents and articles about electing women to political office at all levels, we're really focused on, you know, we want to see pay equity for women, women's choice in reproductive health. We've got a lot of talk about there. And, you know, there's some newer issues that we've been really paying attention to, and and we want to see equality around LGBTQ rights. We really hone in on violence against women and and the ways we can support Haven and other organizations locally that support women and girls and young children. You know, as we think about the way we meet, like technology's really improved things for us. We're still a very scrappy group of women that get together. We, you know, we try to get together and everyone's living rooms once a month as potlucks. And with Zoom and COVID, we've learned to adapt. (laughs) And be able to celebrate women virtually, although we're so happy that we can meet in person again because there is nothing that replaces being in person with each other and the relationships that we build because we do support each other over time. So it's great. I guess so. I'm glad we're back. Everybody's back together as well. Yeah. Please talk about the organization's belief and values. Well, we do have the things we support. We support pro-choice and reproductive rights, as Amanda already talked about, uh, pay equity for gender. And I just noticed that yesterday was Women's Pay Equity Day and a woman has to work, was it today? A woman has to work a whole half a year to make as much as a man made the year before. <laughs> and um, adequate funding for health issues and research for women and children, ending violence against women, safe, affordable, adequate child care, and anti-discrimination based on sexual orientation. So we think it's important to promote an awareness of issues that affect women uh, promote knowledge in the community of um, our strengths and resources and what we can do to support each other, validate and celebrate our achievements, and support legislation and programs that will improve the lives of women and children. You know, I should probably add, like, we are an all-volunteer group of women, you know, dedicating our time to this issue, and I'm always impressed with what we pull off each year. It seems like a pretty big mission, and we managed to hit all the bright spots by partnering locally with other organizations and advocating for women or, you know, just through our Outstanding Women event. And with the advent of technology, we've been able to do a lot through social media to raise awareness of local issues. Very good. Does the Stanislaw County Commission for Women actively recruit new members? And you've talked a little bit about how often you meet and where. 
you meet once a month and you meet in each other's homes, it sounds like. Yeah, mostly the board meets just to plan for our events. But we do annually, we have our annual meeting, which we use as an opportunity to highlight um, women in office. Jane will talk a little bit about our Esto Broughton event that we do every other year. We also do our outstanding women's brunch every year. So these, so we, and then we try to have a variety of different programs over the course of the year. We recently just partnered with the state theater to have a film event to support local refugee women. So we do a variety of different programs that we meet about, and then we get the larger gang of members together once or twice a year. I would say everyone is welcome in the Women's Commission, and we really are trying to build awareness of what we do as well as make it more accessible and make sure that we have representation across the county because we don't want to be too Modesto-centric. We're a pretty scrappy bunch, and I'm always amazed (laughs) what we get accomplished, even though most of us work full-time. Yep. Oh, my. How do you folks choose the outstanding women of the Stanislaw County? Well, we're so excited because it's our season right now. We're having our brunch at the end of this month. We don't come up with the nominations themselves. We don't think of the names on our own. We solicit nominations from the community. So what happens with, we, we put out the, the notice, it's time for nominate, in the fall, in November usually, through our website and our Facebook and in our newsletter, because all our members get our newsletter. And so then folks send in nominations and we close them about December. And then a committee is formed and the committee it consists of board members and former honorees. And then there's a rubric that you score your your um, nominees on. We pay really close attention to to diversity issues, as Amanda talked about a little while ago. We want to make sure we represent the whole county. So we're going to find nom if if a nomination is really strong and it's a woman from Patterson, we're going to choose her. If a nomination is really strong and it's a woman from Riverbank, she will be chosen. But we have a rubric and a scoring mechanism, and then we all get together as a committee and we make a decision. We look at our scores and we make a decision. How does the Stanislaw County Commission for Women publicize its activities and priorities and please include social media handles and the website? Yes, as I mentioned already, we have website, Facebook, and we send our newsletter out. So our website is stanislauswomen.net. Okay. And our Facebook handle is sccw.org. And if you Google Stanislaus Commission Women, you'll come up with us in yeah. some way, shape, or form. I think we're really fortunate because we have such a diverse group of women on our board with different talents. And some of our board members now are really savvy at social media, and, and they love to research and really prioritize issues and spread you know spread the word out. I also think we are very strategic in our outreach, especially when it comes to the annual the Women's Outstanding Award. We make sure we work through our networks, you know, through the County Office of Ed, so they're aware. We make sure we work through public health, different sectors, because we know there are women working across the county, and we want to make sure that folks use it as an opportunity to honor and advance their work. And we, the local schools have been phenomenal in helping with uh, nominating young women, so those are the most inspiring. Okay, very good. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Amanda, do you want to start and then talk to us about everyone on your board? I work at the Stanislaus Community Foundation. I'm the chief strategy officer, and I help oversee our community leadership and grant-making initiatives in the community, as well as scholarships for students. So a a lot of my work is actually very much aligned with the values and the mission of the Women's Commission. So much of the work that I do in my day job is focused on how to improve childcare, how to ensure that local nonprofit organizations that are working with women and children have what they need to be successful We provide a lot of grants in the community to the local nonprofit sector, and so it really does help inform my passion work on the side, which is around advancing the work and advocacy around women and and children. I do appreciate being on the board because it's not only is it a place to receive mentorship and support from other women, who some who are a little further along in their careers, and what's been most delightful is some of the younger women on our board who are just starting their careers, and I see such a beautiful organic support system naturally take place, especially during COVID. It was really, really hard for all of us and to have that community to tap into and be able to reflect on how we were all experiencing such a a dark time as a mom, as a professional trying to make it work and to 
get words of wisdom at times from, you know, even Jane here helped support me during the time where I was the president during, you know, the virtual world. <laughs> and it was really challenging. But I can say the rest of the board members, it's it's been the same. I think we all really value and respect each other's time and, and experiences with each other. I'd like to call out, you know, some of the other ladies on the board who are just so amazing. Ruvi Sheik, who works at the Danislaus Partners in Education. She's also just this super advocate in our community for the arts and placemaking and is behind Porch Fest and Mod Shop and anything that's cool. Illness. <laughs> oh, oh, how can I forget the illness? I mean, Ruhi's connected to it in some way. And to have her on our board just makes us cooler. She does a lot of our social media. She and does. She's our membership VP. Yeah. We super appreciate Ruhi. Nancy Fisher, she's been on the board, oh man, maybe 15 to 20 years. And mm-hmm. she, you know, has a you know, public health nurse. And so her understanding of reproductive health and the issues pertaining to that. I mean, she's a ringer on our board and is always providing support to some of our younger board members who are starting out as nurses. Yashli Nazi, she she literally started as a nurse in March of 2020. I remember. <laughs> she just in in the what you in know, ICU in, in ICU. ICU with doctors. Yeah. Oh my. So it was a really intense time and she also spoke when we did our virtual event to talk about how COVID was impacting women. She was able to share her perspective of being a nurse in the ICU at Memorial Hospital. And I mean, we were all in tears. And I'll never forget what she said is that it was really akin to the experience of what it must be like to be in war, to see so much unnatural death, that death that was unnecessary at the rate that they were seeing it. It's just not something that you normally prepare for. Some of our other amazing board members Karina, young teacher, she is, you know, really um, advancing uh, her work in the arts and been kind of coaching her along as she's getting her teaching credential. Terry, who's our treasurer, she's worked at UC Merced as well as now she's she's just got a, a job at the state. So we're really excited for her. Gillian Wagner, one of our uh, poet, actually, we have two former poet laureates on our board. We have Gillian Wagner, as well as Stella Baratlis, who works at MJC as a librarian. Karen Warner, another ringer. She's uh, one of our newer board members and is the former um, chief of staff for Congressman Harder's office and is also doing some incredible work locally about building out a new sector, a bioindustrial manufacturing sector and, and helping build an inclusive economy in Stanislaus County. And Jenny Tang, who is, you know, also a poet and an artist and a writer, and she works at Gallo. So we just have the, like this incredible dynamic group of women, all with very different experiences. And that really, I think, adds to the richness of what we're trying to do. And then, you know, I Jane, agree. what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have been on the board for 20 years, <clears throat> almost 20 years. So it's been a long time. And, uh, and I was one of the educators, as Amanda described. There were a bunch of us for a while there. Uh, and I retired from education administration. I worked for Modesto City Schools for 30-something years. Committed to this board because it's the one place where I feel like we are raising the issues of the, of concern for women on all kinds of levels. Our events and our and our recognition of outstanding women and young women, as Amanda said a little while ago, they're so inspiring. You find out about all these women in the community who are doing all these things that you don't know about. And then you hear them talk about their work. We read their nominations and then you hear them talk about their work. And it's just amazing. And without all these women, what would what would a poor young girl on the West Side who didn't speak English, who didn't know how to access any kind of internet, what would she do? But there's groups that help people like that. And it's just amazing to hear these people who do this, mostly as volunteers. It's very exciting. Yeah, you know, building off that, Jane, it's been fun. This year, I'm, I'm the VP of program. So I, I get to talk to the parents of the honorees, the honorees themselves as they're, you know, RSVPing for the event. And they're so gracious and appreciative. You know, these are people, they're just doing it because they care. I, I don't think anyone really ex- expects recognition. It sure is cool, though, that, that we can do it. I'm always humbled by the, the women that we honor, and I learn from them. And it just reminds me of, you know, every little bit that we do matters, and people, they see it, and it's inspiring. I really do appreciate that we, we create this opportunity for them. Is there anyone left in this local organization that founded it and did you say 1979 79 um that it's still on our board or uh, no we have some members are still oh okay but not the the, they're not on the board anymore no this is just out there does do you coordinate at all with uh, the national or statewide uh commissions the same ones 
We we do. In fact, we uh, one of our speakers we found last year through the the state commission for women, and we we get all their their newsletters and all their information, and we know what they're doing. And they have they've done a lot of things virtually um, and through and online through the last few years. And um, but we've never traveled like to Sacramento to attend anything. And the state commission is appointed by the governor, so people apply oh. for it. In fact, we had one of our former outstanding women tell me that she applied to be on the commission and she didn't make the cut. So, so no, we don't have a regular coordination or, commu- or interaction. So you wouldn't be communicating with commissions in say Texas or someplace. No, no. I like that you brought that up. Maybe we could, <laughs> they may need our help. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought I'd ask. <laughs> okay. What kind of fundraising activities does the Stanislaw County commission for women do? And, how is that money used in service to the community? So we have our annual appeal letter that goes out. Obviously, this is the, the month of women, so we do it in March in advance of our Outstanding Women's uh, Brunch. And uh, we're very successful in just sending out an appeal. There's a lot of women out there that um, look forward to sponsoring this event. And the money we get from the sponsorship helps us support scholarships for the outstanding young women, as well as scholarships for women who are going to MJC who are trying to upskill. And we work with the scholarship department at MJC to help us identify women that could really benefit from some extra financial support. We also sponsor... Um, a lot of different aligned events over the years. So Haven's Kick Up Your Heels event or Walk a Mile, anything that um, really aligns with our values, we try to provide support. And I know Jane will um, offer some more um, information about the types of events we support with our annual sponsorships. We also get, you know, money from dues. We don't charge, you know, we have, our dues are at zero. So it's really up to our members, but we we traditionally get support from our members too. Right, right. And one of the things that I just thought of when you said that, Amanda, is, there are a number of women who have been our past honorees. They've been doing this since 1980. We're on year 44. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the, right now, our display of all our posters, a poster of all our years, is on display at the Modesto Library. Oh. They display it for us during the month of, of March, and we're going to transfer it to our brunch event at the end of the month. Many of those women donate to us every year because they remember being honored. They're honored that they were honored, and they're pleased to, to help us continue our work. Wonderful. What community or cross-community collaborations have you participated in or look forward to doing in the future? Well, we actively um, work to support local events, as Amanda just mentioned. We have our own our own event, and we give scholarships to our outstanding young women, and we support the MJC scholarship program. Uh, we help with Haven uh, for their Kick Up Their Heels fundraiser. There's also a program at the Juvenile Justice Center for incarcerated children there, that a holiday program called Deck the Hall, and we donate to that one so that the, those kids can have some kind of a holiday cheer activity. Last July for our annual meeting, we hosted a representative from Planned Parenthood to talk about the post-Roe decision world and to talk about what we can do locally and statewide and nationally to help women who are in situations where they are not able to access that kind of health care. Every other year, we honor Esto Broughton. Heard of Esto? Esto Broughton? No. She was amazing. She was one of the first women ever elected to serve in the State Assembly of California, and she was born in Modesto. She was elected in 1918, and she she was only 29 years old. And so she was one of the youngest women ever to enter, and that record was not broken until 20... Um, and there's two streets named for her. I have a friend who lives on one of them. There's a Broughton Place and a Broughton Court in Modesto that's named oh. for her. And so we honor her because uh, we honor elected women, other elected women, the elected women in our county via a celebration of Esto's life. And, and we honor her in different ways. So some years we'll do an actual event. Often it'll be like a panel of local elected women explaining you know, what their experience is like or Talk about Jenny's poem. Jenny, uh, Jenny Tang, our board member, wrote this great poem in honor of Esto that Connections published. So thank you, Connections, Stanislaus Connections, called the motto. And she took water, wealth, contentment, health, our Modesto model, and tied it all into Esto Broughton. It was a beautiful poem. I, I have it here. It's just gorgeous. So we're really proud of that little piece of trivia. <laughs> we also have a band book club group that got together to talk about a book that has been banned called It's Perfectly Normal, which is about teaching children about reproductive health. And uh, we had a great panel with um, an MJC library, librarian, excuse me, and, uh, and parents and some teenagers talk about how important this information was to them. 
And then we showed this film at the state uh, called The Swimmers, and Amanda referred to that already about um, a refugee story, and we included a panel discussion of, of refugee students from MJC. This is KCBP 95.5 FM, a project of the Peace Life Center, and we are interviewing Jane Manley and Amanda Hughes today for Women of the Valley. Does the organization work or confer with Stanislaw County Administration and Board of Supervisors? And I think you discussed that a little bit before to some degree. Yeah, you know, it was intentional at the, um, you know, beginning of the commission that we were not going to be an official um, commission of the county. Uh, we maintain our 501c34 status so we can actually do advocacy work. We have a point of view, we are pro-choice and we are pro-women and we are not ashamed to say that. It's important for us to, to keep our ability to speak. And, you know, if we were a 501c3, we wouldn't have that same liberty. Right. And what the commissions that are associated with counties are get, get appointed by county supervisors. Our group clearly thought that wasn't the way to go. I can see that. What are some of the resources available to women in Stanislaw County that our listeners should know about? Well, a number of them are ones that we've mentioned already because we work closely with them. But And there's all these great organizations that I, I've read about, but I don't remember exactly what they all do, but they're really exciting ones. And sometimes we've honored women who've represented these organizations. And of course, there's Haven, which gives comprehensive assistance to women who are victims of domestic violence or sexual uh, assault. And there's a group called Without Permission that works to end drug sex trafficking. In fact, we honored that founder a few years ago. There's an organization called She Became. There's some traditional ones, Legal Women Voters, League of Women Voters of Stanislaus County. And there's a Democrat Women's Club. There's also a Republican Women's Club. There's an American Association of University Women, AAUW. There's a couple chapters around. They nominate a lot of young women. They nominate year. a yeah. lot of young women, yeah. We've got some Girl Scouts and Soroptimists, more uh, traditional groups. We've got Delta Kappa Gamma, which is an educational sorority, two groups of those in town. There's a group called Invest in Me that's on the west side. We've honored a couple women from that organization in the past. There's Omega New, which is another traditional sorority. And there's, a, there's an organization called a Well, Women's Education and Leadership League. And we honored that founder a few years ago. And they're dedicated to um, helping women achieve financial, physical, and emotional wellness. Yeah, I've been excited with some of the new emerging groups that are really focused on empowerment and youth empowerment, like Invest in Me and She Became. And, you know, they're mostly all volunteers, too, and they're doing great work across the county. I think you might want to elaborate on this. How does America compare with other nations in terms of women's rights, freedoms, resources, health care, child care, paid leave, uh, maternal mortality, Childhood poverty and violence against women. Where are we? <laughs> well, Amanda did a deep dive on yeah, this Yeah, that's one. a beefy question. And it's a really important question because I think that we often, you know, have this sense in America that we're the best. We're really good at things. We're, you know, we're a democracy. We care about equal rights. And, you know, when you really look under the hood of our country, we are not doing well. According to the World Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap Report, Iceland has ranked number one of all countries in closing gender equity gaps for the past 12 years. And the United States, if you're, if you're keeping score, is uh, ranked at 30. Oh and, you know, when you really pull back the, the layers on this one, it's pretty obvious why. You know, when you look at reproductive health, U.S. women have the highest rate of maternal deaths among high-income countries. And I think it's important to call out for black women they're nearly three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related complications than white women. The racial equity disparity there is, is so important for us to pay attention to. We need to be organizing around that, and we need to be paying attention to how we can ensure that, that black mothers get what they need so that they have healthy, successful pregnancies and good outcomes. I don't even know where to begin on, on abortion. I, I grew up in the 80s. I never thought in a million years I've taken this for granted. I wasn't, you know, Jane, this is where it's really interesting being on the board with women who have been, on, you know, been around longer than us, remember what it was like in the 70s. And I can't tell you what it was like on June 24th, 2022. I just was glued to the news and just, just simmering under my skin. I actually, even right now, I can feel it. I'm having a visceral response to 
what this feels like to be in a country that's going backwards on an issue that I thought we resolved. You know, actually, the global trend on abortion is actually toward liberalization. Ireland, which is a predominantly Catholic country, legalized abortion in 2018. And then we went ahead and decided to go backwards in 2022. I'm really concerned. And I know that, you know, with the overturn of Roe v. Wade, it was almost immediate. We saw bans in 13 states across the country. Georgia bans abortion at six weeks of pregnancy before women even know they're pregnant. I am really concerned about the lawsuit in Texas. The implications for that are huge. I know we think we have our rights in California, but man, if 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 Texas passes, if they get what they're going for in the courts, that could have an implication on, on the federal approval of the abortion pill, which is the number one way that women, you know, terminate their pregnancies, unwanted pregnancies. So we have to really pay attention and organize around this because I I think that we're, we just don't know how this is going to go. It's not looking good. Another issue that I pay very close attention to is childcare. And, you know, as a, as a working mom, I make a point of saying this is not a women's issue. This is a family's issue. This is a workforce issue. But for some reason, we have to keep reminding folks about that. This is a, a classic example of you get what you pay for. In the United States, we, we spend, what, 0.2% of GDP on childcare for children, two and under. Now, compare that to Norway. Actually, I should just say 0.2% of GDP. That comes out to be about $200 per family per year. And if you compare that to Norway, they spend $29,000 per child per year. So, okay, maybe we need to move to Norway. <laughs> um <laughs> And, you know, if you look at the conditions of childcare in the United States, childcare workers make barely minimum wage. They make, I think in California, like 11 to $14. It's no wonder people don't want to stay in childcare. They're not making a sustainable wage where they can afford to take care of their own children. We are living in a major childcare desert in Stanislaus County. This is a systemic issue across the nation. In our own county, if we wanted to meet local workforce demand, we would need 39,000 more childcare slots than we currently have. So this is not something that we can just pretend it'll go away. Like this is this is keeping people from working. I've I've spoken to employers locally and they're finally speaking up and saying, "Oh, we need to deal with this. I have, you know, employees that are choosing to not come back to work because they can't they can't afford childcare to take care of their kids. It's cheaper for them to stay at home." So we have very talented, competent women and a lot of men. There's a lot of, you know, men who are dads who are struggling too who are making interesting life choices because they can't find quality childcare. So this is not efficient, this is not sustainable, and this is something we're going to have to address at a local and national level. And you know, it's interesting, I, I re- there are places that were open when I was taking my kids to childcare that are no longer open. Right. And you know, COVID- And, and that t- was a long time ago. Yeah. So that, And my children are very, very much grown. So the need has grown. The need has grown. People aren't making enough money where they could live in a dual income household anyway. Most, both parents and most households need to work. That's in order to just have a piece of the good life. And so we need to ensure that our kids are in safe environments, getting good quality early childhood education. We know that matters. It's just something that we, we have to address if we want to have a competitive workforce. That's how it's going to be. You know, COVID was a re- hit the childcare um, sector really hard. I was talking to my buddy Tony Jordan, who oversees the Children Families Commission. Or, I mean, not uh, the Children Families Division at the County Office of Ed, and so many childcare centers closed during COVID and never reopened. You know, it's expensive to take care of kids in a childcare setting. It's more efficient in an in-home childcare setting, and a lot of those homes closed operations as well. I do see some some positive signals like I, our county even just today approved some funding to start addressing and planning and how to address childcare, which is exciting to see. And it, it really does demonstrate a commitment. I've seen some local employers that are starting to explore what it, what would it look like for us to offer childcare on site. It actually is more affordable for them to offer childcare because then they have less absenteeism. Their employers are more likely to want to stay and they have better retention. So there's so many reasons we should be addressing this as a society. And I really look forward to seeing well, I'm progress. Heartened, I'm heartened by you saying that there are employers who say, yes, we need to address this. Yeah. So it's not just somebody else's problem. Right. There's so many layers to these issues too. It's like you look at paid leave. The United States is the only wealthy country in the world without guaranteed paid leave. I don't get that. Estonia has 80 weeks. UK has 39 weeks. The US has zero. <laughs> Estonia has 80? Yes. I, I had to reread that. And <laughs> I've, I, I've been to Estonia. It's... <laughs> you need to go back. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Sounds lovely. Yeah. 
Well, that's how you support people who want to, if we want people to have families, if we want to continue populating our countries, we need people to have babies, right? Well, if we can't support them decently with health care and then with child care or parental leave, why would they choose to do that? Yeah, it's it seems counterintuitive. In Europe, new parents have paid leave of 14 months on average, and it's common for children to start public school at age three. So, you know, they're addressing, they're, they're providing early childhood education, which we know is critical for brain development. What is it like, Jane, you're gonna have to check me on this, but I think it's something like 80 to 90% of the brain develops in the first five years of life. And that good quality access to education is so fundamental. And, you know, we're slowly starting to add more years in early childhood education, but it's slow going. We don't have universal preschool. Okay. So that leads us to why we don't see progress on these big issues. And it has everything to do with representation. The United States lags nearly every other democracy in the percentage of women in elected office. As of January 2022, which is the last statistic I found on this, the U.S. was tied at 70, 72nd with Egypt and the <laughs> Philippines and oh ranked just ahead of El Salvador and Kazakhstan. So there's a happy group to be, you know, lumped with. Women, you know, if you just look at our own country, like women make up around 25% of Congress and the Senate. So we got a quarter of them. And, you know, obviously we had a huge milestone with, with Kamala Harris in the, in the vice presidency. So that's, that's huge. We're starting to scratch the, the White House ceiling. But, man, we have a lot of work to do. We're not going to see these issues shift unless we see more representation in government. And, and we know, based on data, that when that happens, things do get better. So, you know, balanced participation in politics leads to power sharing, um, research shows that women's leadership and political decision-making processes improves them. In Norway, there is a direct causal relationship between women in government positions and increase in childcare coverage. So it's it's a through line. Like we know that if more men had to take care of childcare at home, they would be dealing and passing legislation to ensure that there was childcare for their children. I just feel like this is something so fundamental. Like we need to get more women in office. We need to see more women have the ability to, to make decisions about issues that impact everyone in our country, but are particularly hard on women. How about violence against women? Well, we know that in California, 35% of women experience some kind of intimate partner physical violence. 25%? 35. 35. Oh, my. Yes, that was in 2022. Sometime in their lifetimes. Oh. Okay, so in their lifetimes, 35% of California women experiences. In the United States, it's 25% have been victims of some kind of severe physical violence by an intimate partner. The impact of that is cascading, right? So children that grow up in homes that where there's violence in the home have high, you know, those are adverse childhood experiences that it, trauma in the home is a, it impacts all sorts of indicators later in life. We know it affects their education outcomes. These are things that come back and haunt children. One in 15 children are exposed to intimate partner violence each year. That's 90% of these children are eyewitnesses to violence. And like I said, that, that actually has physical health outcomes. Children that have high ACE scores, we, you know, we see them, you know, later in life, they, they're dying earlier. They're more likely to uh, end up in prison. There's all sorts of consequences of children that have more um, trauma earlier in life. And the more we can reduce that, the better outcomes we'll see for children as they matriculate into school and, you know, try to have the good life themselves. Did you want to say anything else about childhood poverty? This is an interesting stat. Uh, the le- legalization of abortion decreased the percentage of children who grew up in poverty by 0.54 percentage points and improved the, their future life outcomes, including increased college attendance rates. And I think that this is an important point to make because families that have the ability to plan have the ability to save and can support the children when they're ready to have them. I think it's really important for us to think about, too, in Stanislaus County, when you look at our, our childhood poverty. Okay, I'm going to start pulling out some of my work stuff. But I think we're at like 25% of our children are, are experiencing poverty. We know that two-thirds of our families are struggling to make ends meet, um, and yet they have someone in the home that's working full-time. We have, I think, approximately like 120,000 children in the county, and of those children, half of them are living in these struggling homes. And so if we wanted to, to change that, we really need to improve the economic outlook for families that are working locally, increase their wages, and ensure that they have what they need to support their families. So 
childhood poverty is a real issue in, in the Central Valley. It's and it's something that you know it's an economic condition that we need to think about and have a holistic response. This is KCBP ninety five point five FM, a project of the Peace Life Center, and we are interviewing today the Stanislaw County Commission for Women, the representatives Jane Manley and Amanda Hughes. Why is it important that the history and status of American women should be fully and honestly addressed in American education? How would you like to see it taught? I love this question because as an educator, there is so much to teach. And I'm not going to suggest that teachers have plenty of time because they don't. And the state of California continually says, now teach more and now teach more and now teach more. And so I understand how difficult this is. (laughs) But (laughs) context of place and time is so important to teach our children in order to understand history. If they can't, they come from their own perspectives. They come from their families. They come from their time. They come from their place. And they can't understand what life could have been like for someone in different circumstances than theirs. So that's what we have to help them understand. We have to provide them with rich literature and sources that talk about life in another time and another place for women and for any person who's been not treated as well in our society as white men have been. If I were to design the perfect history class, it would be from the perspective of women in every single era of our historical development worldwide and nationwide, which is huge. As I say it, I realize it is, and there's no way we could manage that. So thank goodness there are women who focus on this. I have a dear friend who's a professor of of women's studies. uh, And I'm so glad that she does the work she does. And she has the students she has so she can take deep dives into this. But context is incredibly important. Understanding a different person's point of view based on their history, their place and time. And, uh, And encourage discussion. Have children and young teens listen to each other and talk about situations that they don't understand so they can put it all together. There are good resources. The state of California has a whole history curriculum and and all kinds of ideas for teachers and creative teachers will find that. But I'm going to say it's not an easy task. It really does lend to political stances happening in different states right now around canceling humanities programs and reduction in programs that are about um, feminism or gender studies, and there's, you know... Or about slavery. Oh, yeah. It's it's really going backwards. We are a country that's supposed to have free speech, and we're supposed to have debate, and we're supposed to be able to talk about things, and we're in a place where we're actually filtering what we think kids can handle talking about. And I think we're really undervaluing and just not giving kids credit for... We're underestimating their ability to to understand it and to have empathy for it, which is what they can do. And, and also cultivating a society where we can sit at, at a table and have a, a, a discussions that we don't have to all agree. We have to agree that uh, everyone has a right to an opinion, that we have a, you know, a civic dialogue, and that we, we teach people to the skill of discourse. Issues around women and girls and gender, these are issues that men and across the spectrum, people are interested in, in having a conversation about just Putting it aside and canceling programs is is really un-American. Please talk about violence against women and what can and must be done to end it. And how can listeners help? Well, we we already alluded to some of the statistics about California women who've been exposed to intimate, to to physical violence by their intimate partner over their lifetime. And that's 35%. Um, Nationwide is 25%. So the most important thing that we can do is all understand that that has nothing to do with your socioeconomic background, your ethnicity, your gender, or who you are. It can happen to anyone. So that's the first thing to understand. We need to teach young people how to resolve conflicts without violence. We need to advocate for gun safety laws because a lot of the violence involves weapons. And we locally, we can donate to our haven which advocates for women who are victims and uh, work to end gender-based violence. How does helping women also help men? Helping women helps everyone, especially when you consider the economic implications. And I'm going to go geeky again because this is just how I roll. But stopping violence against women, it's not a moral imperative. There's evidence that shows that it really does help the economy. Domestic violence costs between 1% and 2% of our GDP. 
So if we can reduce that and increase the amount we spend on childcare, <laughs> wouldn't that be great? Also, I just want to really underline that childcare is not some boutique women's issue. This is this hurts everyone. Working parents are forced to stay home due to lack of childcare. Employers are unable to keep talent. Childcare workers leaving the sector because they can't make a living wage. Like this, this hurts everyone. Abortion bans have an economic impact too. You know, the Institute of Women's Policy Research found in 2021 that restrictive abortion laws cost state and local economies $105 billion annually by reducing labor force participation and earnings. Billion? So, Did you say billion? I said billion. Oh, my goodness. So that comes out in folks having to increase the amount of time off and turnover among women ages 15 to 44 years old. Abortion bans also have an impact on incarceration rates. They're 1.5 times higher in abortion-protected states. So that impacts poverty, too. Access to abortion not only shapes the economic outcomes of the pregnant person, but also the economic circumstances that children grow up in. Like I said before, we know that legalization of abortion decreases the percentage of children who grow up in poverty by 0.54%. This can have huge implications on children's future, family's ability to support the kids they have, and being able to support them to go to college, and, and being able to plan for children at a time when you're ready in life. And you know, when you're less stressed, you're able to really be more a patient parent. All of the things that we want in a healthy family and a home are, are improved when we get to choose when we decide to have kids. And, you know, I, I love it. Like, as Hillary Clinton said nearly 30 years ago, women's rights are human rights. I agree. What would an ideal community have in place for women, men, and children, such as child care, health and wellness resources, transportation, housing, legal assistance? Education and training. Well, you just answered it, Laura. That's it. <laughs> Bingo! <laughs> ding, 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 ding! You get the prize. But, but, and, and Amanda referred to this. What's 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 good for women is good for everyone. <laughs> women's rights are human rights. So we'd have equitable pay. Wouldn't it be great if everybody got paid based on the work that they did, not their gender? We'd have available and affordable childcare. So affordable, yes, and available, as we said before, places closed. They and they haven't opened back up. We'd have good health insurance and good health care. People wouldn't have to travel to the Bay Area for good health care, as they do now, which is so sad to me. We'd have affordable housing. We'd have the basics, clean air, water, and soil. We'd have quality public education, K-12, and then opportunity, excuse me, K-14, and then training programs beyond high school. We'd have affordable legal services. That can happen to everybody. And we'd have safe neighborhoods, safe neighborhoods that uh, provide Traffic safety, safety from gun violence, and safety from violence related to drug deals, because that exists in some neighborhood. Who are some of your heroes from women's history, and what do you admire most and appreciate most about them? I love this question, and it was a hard one. I, I really had to like sit there and go, like, okay, but it could be this person, or what about this one? But I ended up, I went with Marie Curie, and uh, you know, I'm married to a scientist, so that always influenced, but... She was just a rock star in deplorable conditions, you know, with patience and tenacity. She was able to discover two elements, polonium and radium, in the 1880s. And I think, you know, it's really interesting. Like, she was living at a time where she had to hide in secret she was going to school because at the time in Russia where she was, she wasn't allowed. She was Polish, controlled by Russia. She wasn't able to actually learn physics and natural history, even though she was a prodigy at both, as well as English. Um, she was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize, the first person to win a Nobel Prize or a Nobel Prize twice, and the only person to win a Nobel Prize in two scientific studies. And so I, I love thinking about this is like a little exercise and thought, but imagine what the world like. There's probably been so many Marie Curies that have existed that we never knew about because we completely diminished women. We put them somewhere else. We put them in a convent and we didn't allow these amazing prodigies. I mean, we would have had, you know, I think about Leonardo da Vinci and how we, all the discovery he had. There was probably so many people just like him that happened to be born women that were never given the opportunity. And there's many of those girls living today in Afghanistan and other countries around the world, and they are not getting their shot. And it's it's not right that we live in a world where kids and girls don't have the same access. It is sad. Okay, I've got one. And you mentioned convent. <clears throat> well, so um, she was from Mexico. Her name is Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. And Sor means sister. So Sister Juana. And I like her because her name's Juana because that's Jane 
in Spanish. Oh. So I said, well, first thing. I discovered her as a college student. I was a Spanish major. And there's this beautiful poetry that she wrote. She wrote plays. She wrote poetry. She wrote treatises and sonnets. And she was born in Mexico in 1651. She wanted to go to school so badly that she would disguise herself as a boy to go to school. She became a nun at age 16 so she could continue studies because a cloistered woman could do that because nobody was there to tell her not to. So she started writing. A lot of her criticism was about the oppression of women in 16 <laughs> in Mexico and Catholic Church. You can just imagine the oppression. And she wrote a letter to her local bishop making a case for women's rights that they should have a life of the mind. Her writing was so controversial that, of course, the men in the church got really upset and they shut her down and they told her, no more, you can't do this anymore. And so she had to just go back to the convent and not write and not do anything else except dedicate herself to religion. So when I was the Spanish major in college, I was just so amazed at her, her tenacity and her defiance of the cultural and religious norms of her time. And then her name, of course, that I just, she was just so <laughs> inspirational in that regard because of, of her place and time. So she's mine. Very Clearly good. she would have been an outstanding woman. We, yes, we, we would have honored we her. We would have honored her for sure. In 16 something. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to talk about the women that are named in the newspaper article on Sunday, March 12th, about your organization? Uh, yes, we'd be glad to do that. And we're, we're pleased that we've got some publicity because it's not always something you can get. And there's not a lot of print media left these days. And we're so glad that Stanislaus Connections printed our information earlier this month. So thank you, Connections. We are honoring 13 women this year, nine outstanding women and four young women. And I'm going to tell you, the I will tell you the names of our outstanding women, uh, just their names due to time, but then I will um, elaborate on our young women. So our outstanding women this year are Anna Andrade, she's from Patterson, Katie Barber, she's right here in Modesto, Annie Benish, she's here in town as well in Modesto, Dina Brambila, she's from Turlock, but she works for Modesto City Schools. Um, Maria Cortez, she is from Turlock. Jeannie Ferrari, also from Turlock. Turlock is well represented this year, I noticed. That's great. Jeannie Ferrari and uh, Chelsea Foy is from Modesto. Tamira Mecca is from Patterson. Shabnam Mujadidi is here in Modesto. So those are our outstanding women. Our outstanding young women are Dara Patel, Amina Piersdorf, Hannah Sahota, and Audrey Smallwood. Dara is a Modesto High School senior. She's in the IB program there, and she is the head, she's the student representative to the school board, to Modesto City Schools Board of Education. She participates in academic decathlon. She's got a high GPA. She was in girls' state. She runs track and cross country. She just won academic decathlon, I believe. I think they won. Modesto High won. She's started this a Stanislaus County Volunteer Outreach Program, a club that organizes students who want to be volunteers at Modesto High. Uh, Amina Pierstorf is at Enox High School. She's a senior, and she's the school photojournalism editor and yearbook photographer. So she's chief photographer for all their publications. So if a photograph is needed, Amina's the one who runs out to take care of it. So she's contributed to the yearbook, and they've won a lot of awards, and she's, um, she also swims on the varsity team. She is on the county youth empowerment team and the Modesto Youth Commission. So she's really concerned with youth wellness and especially mental health issues. And she wants to study psychology and be a school counselor, a psychologist when she grows up. And she's done some political work in town, and she's a real special young woman. Hannah Sahoda is, is from Turlock. She goes to Turlock High, and she has been really concerned with access, helping girls get access to math and science education. And she herself was part of a program that uh, Professor VG Sundar used to run from CSU, where she was with the girls getting math education. And she started a program and had participated in that program. And um, Dr. Sundar has since passed. And Hannah really wanted more for girls. So she started something called Hannah's Project. And she got partnership and funding from AAUW, who nominated her, and Dignity Health to help girls go to a math and science camp, the special math camp, to get more involved with STEM education. And she's also on the County Office of Education's Leadership Academy. She wants to go to school to be an OBGYN. Audrey, Audrey Smallwood, is also from Turlock, and she's a senior. And she started a group called Kitchens for Change because during our 
first foray into the COVID pandemic, she found out how many students that she knew her, her school who were food challenged. They didn't have enough food at home. So she, her family runs a restaurant. And so she took over the family restaurant kitchen and got some chefs to help her to make meals for families in the Turlock area. So they raised over $18,000 to put together these food programs. So, and here she is, this young woman, 18, 17, 18 year olds putting it together. She's also a volunteer at Jessica's House, which is a program for, to support young people who need grief support in Turlock. And she's one of their, she was a recipient of their services. And now she, she helps run a support group for kids who are grieving. I love hearing the stories about the young women. I mean, I'm always inspired by the outstanding women, but the young women give me hope. They do. They give us hope and they, and we, so that's why we want to support them with scholarships so they can do something in whatever's next in their lives. Wonderful. How can our listeners support and advocate for women and children? Well, the first thing they can do is, as Amanda alluded to this a lot in our conversation today, is about electing women to positions to political positions. And we want to channel, don't, don't just sit down, sit on the sidelines and be frustrated, channel your inner Esther Broughton and run or support another woman who wants to run. And we found out that women often, most women don't think of running for office. They have to be asked. So let's start asking. Yeah. It is amazing how when you ask a woman to run for office, she's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not ready. I don't have enough experience yet. I need to basically have solved climate change in order to <laughs> run for local board of supervisors or whatever. And I notice a lot of men, it's like, well, of course I'm ready. Of course I should run. Or they they know someone that encourages them and they just say yes right away. And I just think it's interesting the imposter syndrome that women have about running for office and they definitely, I think more women might need a nudge and some might need a push. A push. <laughs> but if you identify a woman in your community that has a, a point of view that matters, that you know that they have a, something to say, give them the encouragement they need to, to stand up and, and encourage them to run. There are some great organizations, um, Emerge, She Could Run, or She Should Run, and Emily's List that are designed to, to help provide the support women need to learn how to run for office because there is an art and science to it. Folks that are in the know know how to do it. And we want to make sure that women have access to all of the technical assistance that is available for women that are curious about what it takes to run for office. And for more information about anything, women can uh, look at the website for the State Commission for Women and Girls. And of course, they can also support us and support Haven. Thank you very much, both of you. This has been Jane Manley and Amanda Hughes for the Stanislaw County Commission for Women. We really appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks Thank for you. having this us. This was great. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. You have been listening to Women of the Valley on KCBP Community Radio 95.5 FM and streaming at kcbpradio.org. Our music is Tin Can Trap by Chad Crouch. This has been Laura Stokes and Linda Scheller. We hope you will catch us next time on Women of the Valley. Thanks for listening.